are making good progress in the, the, the book. We are in chapter uh, 9 and we're looking at verse 30 this morning up until verse 50. So the rest of the, the chapter, uh, verse 30 up until verse uh, uh, 50. So uh, that means that before the end of the year, we would have been done with uh, the gospel according to Mark. Uh, and uh, may God use it to mold our hearts, right? And to sanctify us so that we know him. So Mark chapter 9 verse 30 to verse 50. The title for today's sermon is The Way of the Cross. The Way of the Cross. Let us take this time, present it to the Lord in prayer as we seek that he will show us Christ. Indeed, Lord, it is our prayer that you will show us Christ, that our hearts will be drawn to you, molded, shaped, and conformed to you. Our desire, Lord, is that we would be sanctified. Our desire is that we would honor you with our lives as we hear your word, that your word will teach us truth, correct us in error, it will rebuke us if we are in sin and train us in righteousness that we may be equipped, ready for every good work. Glorify your name, Lord, in our lives. In the blessed name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. To begin this morning, I'd like to ask a heart-searching question. Do you want to be great? Do you want to be great? If we are honest, most of us want to be great. Our culture is infatuated by fame. Even if we only get what Andy Warhol uh, called 15 minutes of fame, we'll take it. And we are a culture that is so obsessed with all kinds of social media, so obsessed with getting those likes on social media getting that attention if we never know world fame we'd like at least to be great in our own circle of influence in our communities in our workplaces in our schools in our homes and there I say even in our churches there was a study that was done conducted among college girls university girls um, and, and, and this study focused on the degree of stress in the lives of these uh, students. It, it won't surprise you that these girls had a great determination to be the best students. But that wasn't enough for them. They, they also felt the pressure to be cool at the same time and to be hot. Imagine that. To be the best student and to be hot. No wonder these girls were stressed out. However, this study didn't stop there that the Christians surveyed in the study felt the pressure to be the best Christians too. They, they wanted to be spiritually mature and excel in good deeds that would be noticed by those around them. Let's be honest. The, the story of these um, university girls is not that far removed from our own ambitions. We are all tempted with desires to be great and for some, that desire is modest. Right? For others, it's intense. Do you want to be great? Well, 
I have good news and bad news for you. Or should I say troubling news? Uh, Jesus doesn't uh, squish our desire to be great. He, he's okay with the desire to be great. He even tells us how to be great in our passage this morning. And that's good news, isn't it? But there's troubling news as well. Becoming great in Jesus' eye doesn't come from clawing your way to the top. Right? Becoming great in Jesus' eyes comes to us the same way it came to Jesus on the way to the cross. Becoming great to us through, it comes to, uh, for us uh, through the way of humility. We, we are called to deny ourselves, to, to pick up our cross daily and, and die, to lose our lives for the sake of the gospel. Or in the words of our text this morning, the path to greatness comes through service, openness, and sacrifice. Do you want to be great? Jesus tells us how in our text this morning, Mark chapter 9 verse 30 to 50, let me read as we hear God's word. I read from the ESV, follow me as I read God's word. They went from there and passed through Galilee. And he did, not, he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with, with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and seventh of all. And he took a child and put him in the, in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me but he who sent me John said to him teacher we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us but Jesus said do not stop him for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me for the one who is not against us is for us for truly I say to you whoever gives us gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever comes, whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin, it will be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands go to hell to be to the unquenchable fire and if your foot causes you to sin cut it off it is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell and if your eye causes you to sin tear it out for it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched for everyone will be salted with fire salt is good 
But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have, have, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There are four paragraphs in our passage this morning. And at first glance, as you read, if you're a careful reader, it may appear as though these four paragraphs have nothing to do with one another. But they are all held together by a central theme of humility, self-denial, and cross-bearing. In verse 30 to 32, Jesus predicts his own suffering, his death and subsequent resurrection for the second time. Jesus tells his disciples that he'll be delivered into the hands of man by God. And after he's killed, he'll be raised in glory and greatness. But his disciples, again, don't understand him. They, 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 they understand why uh, they don't understand why the great Messiah, the Christ, would have to suffer. It, it does not register in their minds for a Messiah to, to suffer. For, for them, a Messiah, as we, we have noted a while ago, for them a Messiah uh, in their imagination was to come and defeat the Romans. He was to give them uh, political uh, freedom. They didn't uh, they, they couldn't um, think about the fact that the Messiah would uh, suffer. And as we saw in chapter 8, they certainly don't understand that they will have to do the same as Christ's followers. Now, if you think about it, right? You have this misconception of how the Messiah would come. And all of a sudden, that misconception is, 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 is taken out of your mind you are given truth that the messiah will suffer and as you think about the suffering messiah you are also told that you too will go through the same thing you will go through suffering as well for the sake of christ because of christ they, they don't understand the way of the cross but 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 mark helps us to understand that the, the these the, the three stories that follow um christ's passion uh, prediction teach us about the way of the cross. They, they, they show us the way of the cross, what the way of the cross is. Uh, first of all, in verse 33 to verse 37, we see the way of service. Verse 38 to verse 42, we see the way of openness. Verse 43 to verse 50, we see the way of sacrifice. With the rest of our time this morning, I want to explore the way of the cross in these three stories. First of all, the way of service. Verse 33 to verse 37. Now when you look at these verses, we learn that the disciples are arguing about who's the greatest. Have you noticed? They are arguing among themselves about who is the greatest among them. We, we don't know why they are arguing about this. It could have been an argument between the three who went to the mountain with Jesus and the nine who left, uh, who were left behind. Remember, Jesus took three men and went to the mountain and they saw him transfigured. And regardless, they are arguing about who is the greatest. This reveals the condition of their hearts. They, they, their hearts are filled with pride. Uh, Colin Smith says that pride shows up for one of two reasons. It's either it shows up because of jealousy or because of a sense of superiority. If they were arguing about who 
who got to the who got to go on the mountain with Jesus, then jealousy would be the pride of the nine, right? They would be saying something like this: Why didn't we get to go with Jesus? They, they are not that great. These guys are not that great. I mean, we know them. They're not that great. Jesus just called Peter Satan, uh, you know, uh, a while ago, <laughs> but he just went with him for crying out loud. Why aren't we there? So there's a sense of jealousy in them. And then on the other hand, there's a sense of superiority that would have been the pride of the three, right? They are saying something like this, obviously we are better than these guys, right? Jesus took us and, and left them behind. And not only that, these guys couldn't even cast out the demon when we came back. The speculation to say that the disciples were arguing about the trip to the mountain but I hope it, 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 it at least illustrates the point, right? We, we, we argue all the time about stuff as silly as this. There's nothing new under the sun. Jealousy and superiority will lead to arguments that reveal our pride. It's interesting, Jesus doesn't criticize the disciples for wanting to be great. Have you noticed? Uh, he says, do you want to be great? I'll tell you how. You must be the servant of all. The greatness to Jesus comes through humility. The, the, the word service that he uses would be associated with menial tasks like waiting on tables. In, in the ancient world, this type of service was not celebrated. It, it was shunned. It was looked down upon. It was something that was never celebrated. In fact, when you read the, the philosophers of that time, like the ancient philosopher Plato, he, he said, how can a man be happy when he has to serve someone? So, so for them, serving was something to be looked up, down upon. They, they, they needed to be served. Like the prophets and the major prophets of today, right? They, 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 they want to, uh, you to carry their Bibles to the pulpit. They want you to polish their shoes as they are preaching. When I say a great point, I come here. Someone must, must polish my shoes. But when I start to sweat, someone runs with the handkerchief to wipe my ground. It was looked down upon to serve. That those who were considered great were those were the ones who were being served were, were the ones who were being followed around were the ones who, 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 who when they walked the ground on, on which they walked was worshipped these were the ones who were considered great but Jesus turns that around he, he turns it upside down so his words in other words were radical and they were countercultural. there was something not uh, used to something that people were not used to at that time and I, I dare to say that even today, they still are countercultural. They, they still are radical. Not many people in our world today aspire toward being a servant, uh, 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 you know, in a servant role. And people just want to, we, we, we misunderstand, especially serving in the local church. We think that the most important area to serve is where everyone sees you. And when nobody is seeing you, when you 
won't get the pat on the back when you won't get the applause then you don't want to serve they, they aspire to jobs where they are the boss where they are the ones who are in control but Jesus the truly great one said he came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many if his followers want to be great they'll have to do the same we would have to have uh, our minds shaped with this radical idea of being servants rather than being served to make the point Jesus uses an, an optic lesson here he took a child and put him in the, in, the, in the midst of them and taking him in his hands he said to them whoever receives one such child in my name receives me and whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me this is profound it's, it's deep it's it's amazing now modern day Christians love the verse we post it in our children's ministry literature and rightly so but our sentimental love of this verse sometimes betray its true meaning you see in the ancient world people didn't adore children the way we do it would be unheard of for them to take children to a professional photographer it would be unheard of to call children bundles of joy women and children in that time in this ancient time were largely secondary members of the society they were considered second-class citizens they they didn't uh, you know they, they were not much in the society their connection to this to society depended on men so when Jesus uses a child, he's using an illustration of the very last and least in society. Children were not considered great. In our day, Jesus may have taken up a grown man with significant developmental disabilities bound to a wheelchair, reeking of body odor. They have no power. In fact, they have little value in the eyes of our society. But it's people like these that Jesus receives. It's people like these that he calls his followers to receive. And spiritually, we are all like this. We are all weak, powerless, disabled, poor, and spiritual castaways. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus receives us anyway. Isn't it? In fact, when you come to a point of seeing yourself as a sinner and you see yourself as incapable of doing anything about your sin, you are in the right place. Because you are seeing that the hope for your life is not in you. You are seeing that your hope is outside of you. It, it is in Christ alone that if it was not for Christ alone you could not do anything for yourself you are seeing the reality of John 15 verse 5 where Jesus says without me you can do nothing you, you are seeing the reality that you are dead in your sins and trespasses and that you need life that is outside yourself to awaken you to the reality of life in Christ you are seeing 
that outside of Christ you are nothing. You are seeing that reality that Paul saw when he says, He, there's no longer I that lives with Christ. You see, we come to a place where the good news is really good when we see that we cannot do anything for ourselves. We, we come to a place where that him that says here in our weakness you find us falling before your throne. Oh, we're falling before your throne. Do you want to be great? For those of us who are followers of Christ, the way of, to greatness is the way of humble service. Are you a servant of all? Or is your chief ambition to be served? And who is it you want to serve? Do you want to serve great people and great organizations so you can be associated with the great? Or are you willing to serve the least and the last with no fanfare? As at Home Affairs on Thursdays, on Thursday and Friday. And I know you would understand that because to Home Affairs you must go the day before, right? But anyways, I was there and as I got to got inside, there were these two old men and they were talking about um, their past jobs and, and, and this one was a butler at a hotel and he says one day they sent him to um, you know, a, a hotel uh, room and um, they said he must go and um, take bags from the, the person who was inside and, and he, he went as he does always and as he gets in he, he knocks um, a, a couple of times and the door opens and to his surprise it is Michael Jackson he was beside himself <laughs> he couldn't control his, his, his joy he, he felt like now I'm serving sometimes we look at people and when they are not on our social class on our economic level we don't see them as anything we, we live in a society that categorizes people by their skin color that categorizes people by their nationality that categorizes people by their social economic uh, you know, backgrounds and so on and so forth. Christ does not do that. Christ calls us to serve each other regardless of what name you have. Regardless of what background you have. Regardless of what is in your pocket. Because serving one another that way we recognize that my value is not in the fact that I work this kind of job. My value is not in the, in the fact that I come from this nationality. My value is in the fact that I am redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. My value is in the fact that I am made in the image of God. And when you start to see things that way, a, a man 
who is homeless and a man who is a CEO of a multi-million rent company are equal in your sight. Pawasha says there is no such thing as a great man of God. We are all weak, pitiful men who serve a great God. That term great does not fall on the man. It falls on God. Do you want to be great? Jesus calls us and says, greatness is found when we are humble. It's found in humility and serving. I think we all need a kind of heart that serves without expectation of a parade. Without expectation of a pat on the back. Is the heart of our Savior where you might serve the least and the last. Are you willing to serve without a fanfare? Without an expectation that someone will uh, give you an applause for sin. Are you willing to serve? So we saw the way of humility. The way of, of, of service, I mean. The way of service. And secondly, we see the way of openness. The way of openness. And this is in verse 38 to verse 42. And the issue in these verses is that a man who's casting out demons in Jesus' name the disciples see this man and he's casting out demons but he's not part of the twelve and the disciples try to stop him why? when you read you'll realize that it's because he wasn't following the disciples they don't try to stop him because he wasn't following Jesus (laughs) they try to stop him because he was not in their circle in fact Jesus seems to indicate that this obscure man was in some way connected with Jesus. Jesus says that those who are not against him and the disciples are for uh, and the disciples are for them. I, I want to digress a bit here. But Jesus says those who are not against me if you notice that passage who, the one who is not against us is for us. He says in verse 41, for truly I say whoever, no, he says actually in verse 39 he says, do not stop him for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon after what to speak evil of me. Now I want to use that principle that to to be for Christ means living for Christ, right? Living for Christ. To be for Christ means living for Christ. Living the life that Christ, uh, 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 you know, that honors Christ. In other words, brothers and sisters, this is, this is what I see as a principle. That living contrary to Christ is actually to be against Christ. Because you are pursuing that some, something that Christ is against. And so automatically, logically you are making yourself be against him let's come back a bit now 
they, they try to stop him, but Jesus says they must not stop him. Not only that, this, this man's ministry seems to be effective, isn't it? He's doing good. He's casting out demons effectively. But the disciples had the audacity. Today we use a, a colloquial term. We say the liver. They had the liver. They had the liver to equate being legit with following them. This further illustrates this, their pride. It, it seems amazing to us that Jesus' disciples are, 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 are exclusive. But let us not judge, lest we be judged here. We must be careful of being so exclusive that we end up being a little flock that sees itself as the only one that has truth. And while we see everyone who is not with us or in agreement with us as being in error, we need to be careful against it. When we do that, we are one step closer to becoming a cult. For those who belong to Christ, I think Jesus is calling us to more openness and, and tolerance and acceptance of other uh, uh, you know, Christians. Provided, obviously, that we agree on the fundamental things, right? on the gospel. We, we might disagree here and there, we might disagree uh, 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 on, 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 on secondary matters, but on primary matters, we must come to agreement. It's no wonder the church is so divided. Because we want to see ourselves as the only people with truth. But when we try to stop people's ministry because they are not following us, we are guilty of spiritual pride. We are becoming guilty of spiritual pride. In verses 41, Jesus drives this teaching home with an exhortation and a warning. The, the, the exhortation is subtle, right? Jesus says to his disciples, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Not only will people who offer the disciples a drink of water because they belong to Christ be rewarded, they should do the same to others who belong to Christ. I think Jesus is implying that his disciples should be encouraging the man who was casting out demons in his name, not stopping him. At a, at a minimum, sharing a cup of water with, with another Christian is a way of showing kindness to them. And even if they are not like us. Right? They, 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 they shouldn't discourage him by drawing strong religious borders around this man. They should be open to him. They should offer him a right hand of fellowship. This idea of offering a cup of water is, is I think, is also radical. Especially for our time, because we live in a time where we isolate ourselves from one another. Offering a cup of water, <laughs> although Jesus uses that, uh, I wouldn't expect just a cup of water if I visit you. <laughs> offering a cup of water is Jesus calling us to, to realize this aspect of community. To realize this aspect of bonding with one another. To realize this as aspect of unity among ourselves. In fact, Jesus goes on to warn them. He says, whoever causes one of these little ones to, to believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for him 
if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. The, the, the reference when he says these little ones who believe in me is a reference to the least and the last that he mentioned in verse 36 to verse 37. It's a reference to the man casting out demons in verse 38. He may be one of the great, uh, he may not be one of the great 12 uh, uh, disciples, but he does believe in Jesus. We are called to serve and, and share with the people that are not great and who are not in our inner circles. We, we shouldn't cause them to stumble because they are not like us. Now, lastly, I want us to see we, we saw uh, first uh, the way of service. Secondly, we saw the way of openness. And lastly, and thirdly, the way of sacrifice. Verse 43 to verse 50. Now, these verses, in these verses, Jesus shifts his focus from causing others to stumble to the things that cause us to stumble. He says, if your hand causes you to sin or to stumble, you should cut it off. If your foot causes you to stumble, you should cut it off. And if your eye causes you to stumble, you should tear it out. And then he mentions the reason behind it. It is better to enter the kingdom of God without a hand, without a foot, without an eye, than to be thrown into hell where the worm doesn't die and the fire isn't quenched. I, I say, I, 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 I say a lot to when I, whenever I am I, I, invited to speak to uh, the youth that a young man, and let me even say men and women, are going to be people if they honor and love God are going to be people that enter heaven with one eye, one hand. Have you realized how much we're living in a world that is sexually charged? How much it's easy to access things like pornography and so on and so forth? That to be a man who honors Christ, you would have to live in such a way that you swim against the current of this world. That you live in a way that is so radical and countercultural. That you want to live for Christ. That if anything, brothers and sisters, anything that wants to, 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 to cause you to undermine Christ with your life, you remove it. Even if it means radically removing it so. Do you hear what I'm saying, brothers and sisters? It is those who are pure at heart who will see God. It is those who are pure at heart who will see God in this life, in the effectiveness of their lives, in that life and seeing God before with their very eyes. We will enter heaven lame and crippled and blind because we wanted to honor Christ. It is better. Now clearly Jesus is using a hyperbole here. He's using an illustration, uh, uh, an exaggeration, and a metaphor. He's calling us to, lit he's not calling us to literally lop off our limbs to be saved. He, 
the, 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 the exaggeration, the hyperbole, doesn't diminish the importance of the teaching. The, the eyes, hands, and feet are all inclusive of what we view, what we do, where we go. The, the point is that the kingdom of God is more important than anything in our lives that we are holding on to. But do you hear that, brothers and sisters? The kingdom of God is so important, so important, that sometimes when you see that that phone is making you sin against God, you throw it against the wall. The point is clear. The kingdom of God is that important. There's nothing greater than knowing Jesus, is there? Where else can we go? That's what we're saying. Where else can we go? For you have the words of eternal life. For, for Jesus' disciples, they were holding on to superiority and exclusiveness. In other words, they were holding on to pride and their desire to be great. If they want to enter the kingdom of God, if they want eternal life, they have to amputate pride. They have to cut it off. In other words, they have to deny themselves and take up their cross. They have to lose their lives in order to find it. What are the things in your life that are fueling your pride? The world has set forth all kinds of ways to be great. The, the marketplace has its ways to be great, but they are very different than Jesus' way. The academy has its way to be great, but they are very different than Jesus' way. The cult of busyness has set forth ways for families to be great, but that's a different way than Jesus' way. Jesus is saying they all need to be chopped off. They need to be cut out of your life. Greatness will only come by way of the cross. Or in, other, in the words of Paul, we need to put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. Or as he says again in Colossians chapter 3 verse 5, we need to put to death what is earthly in us. Pride is rooted deeply in our sinful hearts. Jesus is calling us to root it out. But you might ask, won't it hurt? Won't it hurt to rip out the things I love so dearly? Jesus doesn't deny that it, it hurts. This reminded me of this wonderful story by C.S. Lewis in his book, uh, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. In fact, I think they have a movie on that. I say read the book rather than the movie <laughs> because the book has... Uh, more, more, more information, but uh, we uh, we learn differently, right? Um, some of us are visual learners. It's the story of this nasty little boy named Eustace, who is full of pride and and greed. Eventually, he actually turns into a dragon because of his pride and his his insatiable uh, desire for things. He turns into a dragon as an illustration. Of, of that which is in his heart becoming manifest in his body. When this happens, he realizes that he doesn't want to be a dragon and wants to be back with the other children. Then he encountered Aslan. Aslan is the Christ-like figure in the story. And Aslan says to him, as he comes to him, he says, you have to undress. That is, he's saying to him, you have to take this lizard-like, scale-filled body that is formed around you off. 
And so Eustace starts to claw at the, at the scales, but that's not sufficient. He tries three times. The scales come off, but there's still more there. Listen to what happens next. The story is told from the perspective of Eustace. He says, then the lion is referring to Aslan. The lion said, but I, I don't know if it spoke. He says, you will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws. I, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back to let, it, let him do it. The, the very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began to pull the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling, of feeling the staff peel off. You know, if you've ever been scabbed with a sore, or of a sore place, it hurts so, it, it, it hurts like Billy O, but it, it's such fun to see it coming away. I know exactly what you mean, said Edmund. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, and just as I thought I'd done it myself, the other three times, only they hadn't had. And there it was lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more nobly looking than the others had been. And there was I as smooth and soft, as peeled, as a peel switch and smaller than I had been. Then caught, uh, he caught hold of me. I, I didn't like that much for I was very tender underneath and I'd, I had no skin on and he threw me into the water. It smarted like anything but only for a moment. After that it became perfectly delicious and as soon as I started swimming, and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why. I turned into a boy again. You'd think simply phony if I told you how I felt about my own arms. Won't it hurt? You better believe that it will hurt when Christ removes that pride. In fact, Paul tells us that the only way he can put to death we can put to death the misdeeds of the body is by the spirit. God must do the work. But here's the good news, brothers and sisters. Yes, it will hurt, but it will be pleasing to the Lord. Jesus doesn't deny that rooting out pride in our lives will hurt. He says it will feel like death. In fact, he likens it to a sacrifice. When you look at uh, <clears throat> chapter 40, uh, verse 40, 49 and 50, he says, for everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has been has lost its saltiness, how will it make? Will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. These verses are referring to sacrifice. The, the imagery of salt and fire is the imagery of sacrifice. But more specifically, Jesus is referring to whole burnt offerings here. Burnt offerings were sacrifices of of consecration. They set a person apart for God. Bent offerings had to be wholly consumed by fire in order to be acceptable. And the offering had to be seasoned with salt. And the fire bent up the animal and, and the salt became the pleasing essence, incense to God. The way to the cross lays a, a, a total clay on your life. It's wholly consumed. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to go by the way of the cross. You have to be willing to forsake all things that are precious to you that might hinder your life of faith. But although it will hurt like death, to cut pride out of your life, it will also be pleasing to God. 
we are called to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is our spiritual, uh, this is our spiritual act of worship to God. Now, do you want to be great? Jesus tells us how that is not found in the desire to be a part of the elite and exclusive club. It is not part of what the world calls great in Jesus' eyes. It's found through service and openness to others. It's a life of sacrifice, and we shouldn't be surprised by this. For Jesus himself offered his life as a sacrifice. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. He served us by offering us his life as a ransom. Only then was he exalted to the highest place. If we want to follow Jesus on the road to greatness and glory, we must follow him on the way to the cross. Before the crown, there must be cross. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we, we confess our sin to you. We all desire to be great to one degree or another. Thank you for Jesus who died for our sins, even the sin of pride. I pray that you would humble us, Lord. Help us to see that knowing Jesus is greater than all the greatness this world has to offer. Help us to believe that true greatness and glory comes through service and sacrifice. I pray, Father, that your spirit will help us to put to death that which is earthly in us. Teach us, Lord, true humility. And I pray that you, as you work in us, that which is pleasing to you in your sight, that the light of Christ would be seen in us, that you would be glorified in your church. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.